There have been a lot of articles written about why millennials are leaving the church. A few years ago, CNN ran one of those articles titled that way by Rachel Evans and uh, talked about how while churches are trying to draw 20-somethings with edgier music, casual services, a coffee shop, a pastor in skinny jeans, uh, Evans says that won't do it because... Millennials say, we've been advertised to our whole lives, so we're not easily impressed with consumerism or performance. This church's performance is just one more thing that's driving us away. And this is what captured me. It says, we're not leaving the church because we don't find the cool factor there. We're leaving the church because we don't find Jesus there. That's heartbreaking to me. But glad that uh, they are indeed looking for Jesus. As we finish this series called The Art of Worship, I don't want you to think for a moment that I'm calling you to uh, make more noise or less noise or use more instruments or different instruments or to appreciate old forms of worship or embrace new ones. No, it's my prayer that every time we gather together, there will be an absence of performance and an abundance of Jesus. Uh, That's what we need. Now, now there are 150 psalms covering a a wide range of human experience. Uh, Sad, celebratory, angry, repentant, joyful, desperate, or thankful. But Psalm 150, the very last one, is total unqualified praise. In these few verses, the Hebrew word halal appears 13 times. That word means to praise or boast or cheer. And all 13 are connected to God. That's how Psalm 150 starts. Praise the Lord. Praise halal. And the word for Lord is yah. Uh, Halal, yah. That's where we get get our word hallelujah from. And over and over again, this expression of praise is repeated in this very short psalm. This finale to the psalms is like a professional fireworks show, a closing burst of of explosions and color and light and sound, and everyone claps at the exciting conclusion. Uh, This psalm is like the final barrage of adoration. Now, what creates that kind of explosion of praise? How is it possible for the people of God to break loose and praise in a way that is genuine and passionate and not performance-based? Well, I want to uh, point out to you three features of explosive praise that are in the psalm. Uh, Here's what causes praise to break loose among God's people as they gather. The first feature is praise breaks loose when it is a shared experience. When it's an experience that we share together. Notice Psalm uh, 150 verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Now notice the two places of worship that are mentioned here. God's sanctuary and His mighty heavens. In the Old Testament, the sanctuary or temple, that building, symbolized God's earthly dwelling place. It's where His people gathered to worship. The God who created the heavens and the earth can't be contained in a building. But that was the connection point where He met with His people as they gathered together. Uh, And that earthly sanctuary, the temple, temple was destroyed but Jesus the Bible says came to bring us a new and living way he opened up a new and living way to God by his sacrifice on the cross and all who enter through Jesus uh, have access into the very presence of God and so individually if you're a believer you are the temple of God and collectively as God's people we are 
God's temple. That's what 1 Corinthians 3.16 says. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And so it's our coming together to worship God. That's when praise breaks loose. Now certainly worship can happen on your own. Must. Worship can happen anywhere. Absolutely. But worship cannot be exclusively individual. It must be a shared experience. God created it to be that way. So something happens when God's people gather together that cannot happen any other way. And that's why the New Testament encourages Christians to come together, to use our gifts, uh, to give a testimony, to speak a word of encouragement, to share a song. Praise God in the sanctuary, the shared experience of God's people in worship. But notice the other place worship occurs, and that's in His mighty heavens. Uh, This reminds us of the universality of worship. Surely we're not alone in gathering today. All across this globe, God's people are assembling in worship. Some in great cathedrals, others in warehouses, steepled churches, school buildings, private homes, behind prison walls, and in secret locations under the threat of persecution. And while all of that is included, I think the psalmist also has something else in view. Because not only is God being praised in earthly sanctuaries, but the inhabitants of heaven are praising God right now too. At the same time we gather for worship, we're joining with those who are praising God in glory. The great theologian Jonathan Edwards wrote that those who are in heaven right now are delighting in God, and those who are on earth should join them in praise. Do you ever think about how that can work? Most of us have loved ones and friends who have died. And those who are in Christ are immediately with the Lord, present with Him. Right now, they're caught up in praising God. Several years ago, I was on a mission trip in Hong uh, Hong Kong and Thailand. And uh, I was able to video call my wife almost every day, uh, which was remarkable to me. For, For me, it was four or five in the morning, just starting the day. For her, it was four or five in the evening, just getting dinner ready and coming to the end of the day. But there was great joy in knowing that uh, what each of us was doing at that particular time and in and, and shared experience. This psalm should add depth to our praise for that same reason. As we worship, we're joining in a shared experience with all the saints on earth and in heaven. Maybe your grandparents, your spouse, your mom, your dad, your child, your close friend has gone to be with Jesus. And as you praise God, you engage in the same activity they're enjoying right now. Praise breaks loose when we realize it's far more than a solitary encounter, but it's a shared experience in the sanctuary and in the mighty heavens. Second, praise breaks loose when it is God-centered. When it's God-centered. I have noticed a similar thing many, many times. This summer when I was traveling, I I noticed this. I'll tell you what this is. Uh, The first time I noticed, I went by a place called Ralph's Deli. Ralph's Deli. Now, you you have a, a picture of what you might get in a deli. But under that big sign that said, Ralph's Deli, there was a sign that said, we sell bait. Those are two completely different things. Uh, I think that's a business that's unclear on its mission. 
unless the church directs its worship and attention to God, she fails in her mission. Notice the God-centeredness of praise in verse 2. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. So the call is for us to praise God for what He has done and who He is. To boast about His acts of power. Boast about His surpassing greatness. A part of why we gather to worship is to rehearse those acts of power. To remind ourselves of His greatness, what He has done. And we do that with Scripture. We do that in song. We do that around the Lord's table. And next Sunday, we will worship around communion, the Lord's table. With the bread and the cup, we remember the Lord's death for us. And that's the mightiest act of God, that when He reached out to us in love by sending His perfect Son, Jesus, by Jesus' sinless life, His sacrificial death on the cross, His glorious resurrection, all who receive Him are saved from sin and death and hell. And it's because of that, Ephesians 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So the more we keep the focus on what God has done, the more powerful our praise will be. Another part of worship involves learning and remembering who God is and talking about His greatness. And whether we do that by, by singing how great thou art or how great is our God, we need to do that. When we discover God's character and attributes, it causes us to overflow with praise. And the more we understand and, and contemplate God's great love and mercy and power, the more powerful our praise will be. It can be a challenge to keep our worship God-centered. Because there are so many distractions, there are so many ways to lose focus, there are so many people and issues clamoring for our attention, and it is a challenge for God's people to keep our focus on Him, to keep worship God-centered. See, this gathering of God's people is not the place to unite against a human enemy. It's not the time to praise human organizations or achievements. It's not the place to get out the vote. The priority is not to encourage patriotism or to support capitalism or our military. It's not the place to impress each other with our talents or our appearance or our accomplishments. It is the time to praise the Almighty God for His mighty acts and His surpassing greatness. God forgive us for any day in which we have presented ourselves as the church of the living Lord, but instead we're merely human-focused. The passion of my life has been to have a laser focus on Jesus. And I repent of any time in which I failed to make that so. I repent of any time in which I've allowed others to insert themselves in front of God. For it is only when we are God-centered that praise breaks loose for the one who deserves all glory and honor in the universe. So, praise breaks loose when it is a shared experience, when it is God-centered, and finally, when it is unreserved. When it's unreserved. Notice these verses, verse 3 to 5. Praise Him with a sounding trumpet. Praise Him with a harp and lyre. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Now, I've used the word unreserved because it sums up what the psalmist is communicating here. Praise is unreserved in variety, 
and in intensity. Variety and intensity. See, proper praise is not limited to certain instruments or to no instruments. There is variety. I want to point out a couple of facts about this list of instruments here in the text. Most of these instruments are associated with temple worship. Most of these are associated with the culture of Israel. The horns and the string instruments were used in times of praise and celebration. However, there are two instruments listed here that were not usually connected to worship in Israel at all. The tambourine and the flute. The tambourine was associated with Baal worship, a false god. In other words, it's what the idol-worshiping Canaanite culture around Israel used. The tambourine. The flute was used in ancient Israel, Egypt rather, ancient Egypt. And the flute was not something that was typically used inside the temple of the Lord to praise God, but it was used as entertainment in a pagan culture. But both of these instruments are included here in this passage. And what this emphasizes is that there's a variety and totality of praise that God deserves. This is not a list of instruments that must be used for worship to occur. This is to show us that any and all instruments can be used to praise God. So don't get caught up in in thinking that this particular instrument is only useful for worship or that particular instrument can't be reserved for worship at all. No, praise breaks loose when there's this variety of sounds as well as movement. Speaking of movement, I, I think of the time when David, king of Israel, danced. Second Samuel 6 says he was so overcome with joy about the return of the Ark of the Covenant uh, that that was returning back to Israel. He was so overcome with this that he let loose and he danced with enthusiastic abandon. David expanded expended all his energy. He whirled about. He expressed all the joy his 40-year-old body could muster. And his wife hated it. She watched passively from a window. She was critical. She was concerned about appearances. And that attitude brought judgment into her life. God deserves unreserved praise. Not all of us are comfortable with the same level of expression. But don't let that push you into passivity. Don't let that push you into criticism of others. That's so critical. Because we're not all alike. So so don't let what is blessing someone else cause you to be passive. Cause you to be a critic. Now in addition to unreserved variety, there's also unreserved intensity. I, I want you to notice there's a lot of noise going on in this passage. Take the cymbals, for example. I mean, you've got all these instruments, but let's take the cymbals. Cymbals can be played quietly or loudly or somewhere in between. Cymbals can create this soft sizzle or a thunderous clash. Now, what's interesting to me is that that variation is not expressed in this psalm at all. Do you notice what it says? Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Clash means loud. And the resounding symbols, the word resounding means alarming. So here's your choice. You get a choice of loud or so loud it's scary. There's a lot of noise going on in this passage. And this just speaks to the intensity of praise that God deserves. 
Don't hold back. Give it all that you can with all your might and by all means possible. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, It's unreserved in variety and in intensity. For worship to be what God wants, there must be some readiness and willingness for us to give Him everything. We sang about that earlier, but that must be the reality of our hearts and our minds. To be unreserved. Regardless of the style of music or the forms of worship we prefer, don't hold back. Praise Him with the instruments and the music you love, but accept that He can also be praised with instruments and music you don't like at all. Now notice, the psalm concludes with these words. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. A big obstacle to this is our wrong approach to worship. Because we are American consumers, we often approach worship as we approach just about everything else, expecting to get something that will improve our lives or lift our emotions. And if we don't get that, then we might feel like it's been a waste of time. I heard Sky Jathani say that God does not exist to be useful. God exists to be adored. And true worship is is so enamored and overwhelmed with the value of the one worship that you come to empty yourself before Him, expecting nothing in return. I like that. That's what true worship is. And so I I believe that what this psalm is, is, it's a call to empty yourself in praise of God. Praise Him in this shared experience among His people on earth and in the heavens. Make Him the center of your praise because of what He's done and who He is. Give Him praise that is unreserved in variety and intensity. Now let me describe to you what that's like. Now through the years, I have probably had thousands of absolute strangers ask me for help. That's part of the joys of being a pastor. You, you come in contact with folks uh, who are looking for help whom you don't know. Uh, the people who needed food or, or gas money or shelter. Now, sometimes I have personally helped these strangers with a little money or a place to stay for the night or a ride or shoes or clothes or a meal. Now, there are people I did not help that I probably should have. There are people I did help and shouldn't have. Like the guy I drove to Target and it turned out I was the getaway car while he was shoplifting. But for any of those I have helped, there's a limit to how much I would do. I only open my wallet just so wide. I only help them just so far. Now those closest to me would get far different treatment for my wife, my daughters, my son-in-law, my mother, my grandchildren. If one of them was in need, there's nothing I would hesitate to give. Nothing. I mean, I wouldn't be limited to what was in my wallet. I would empty my bank account. I would sell my possessions to save them. One winter, I met a stranger who needed something on his feet, and I gave him my winter boots. But it was not a sacrifice. Those boots were old, and I had the money to go out and buy a new pair, which I did. 
but I would give my loved ones a kidney. I, I would give my life. I, I, and I wouldn't do that expecting anything in return. No sacrifice would be too great. Nothing is held back. I would empty myself because of who they are. I would empty myself because I love them. And if you have a circle of loved ones, you know what I mean. You would do the same. And Psalm 150 says God belongs in that circle. Empty yourself for Him. And as we gather in the shared experience of God-centered, unreserved worship, we can break loose in praise. I want you to stand with me now. We're going to end this portion of our time with praise that He deserves. And let me just remind you just a little bit of why He deserves praise. And if your trust is in Christ, if you've been redeemed, then you know what I mean. And you have every reason to join me in adoring the God of the universe. Why do we praise God? Because the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is the father to the fatherless, a defender of the poor and needy. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the righteous judge, the rock of our salvation. So let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.